Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast, where you can learn how to improve your diet, lose fat, and get fitter in a sustainable and fun way without spending hours in the gym. Here is your host, Darren Kirby. This is episode 20 of the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast. In today's show, we're going to be discussing using the disciplines of triathlon and using them in your fitness routines to achieve an all-round fitness. Joining me on the show is Raya Hubble. Raya is a former Olympic skier. In 2001, Raya had a tragic accident which left her in a, in a wheelchair for a year and took her 10 years to recover. And that's when she found the multidisciplines of triathlon. Fast forward to today and Raya now coaches other like-minded athletes and has a goal of qualifying for the Ironman World Champs in Kona. Hi Raya, thanks very much for joining me on today's show. Hey buddy, how's it going? Yes, very well, thank you. And um, super excited for today's interview. Um, I've read a lot about you and your background and history. So with that in mind, can you give us an introduction in your, into yourself and you know the journey that you've you come from from skiing right up to today yeah sure I mean you've um explained it so succinctly I feel like my waffling <laughs> chat is going to be totally failed and uh, <laughs> to replicate this amazing introduction but um yeah so my, I'm Canadian originally um okay. so I was born with skis on it was either going to be skis or skates um and right. I chose skis um in the end um skied for a decade representing Canada was really fortunate to travel the world um had qualified for the 2000 uh for the 1998 Nagano Winter Olympics uh, and then again for the 2002 Salt Lake City Olympics um and eight weeks before the 2002 Salt Lake City Olympics I um had a pretty big ski accident which resulted in um a big crash let's just leave it at that yeah. dozens right. of bones um some some f- um head injuries some um serious traumas and some um spinal damage which left me as you said uh in a wheelchair for quite some time um yeah. and i guess the the 10 years that preceded that were all about rebuilding my body, rebuilding my mental state, but also finding my new footing in life. Because I think for most, well, most athletes, especially childhood athletes, it's all you know. And you find yourself 20 (laughs) out in the big bad world. And all you really did was do exactly as you were told by coaches and trainers and educators. um, And suddenly you're left going, oh my God, what do I do now? Yeah, And so I found myself living in the UK because my parents, whilst I was skiing, had immigrated to the UK um, right. and came to live here to be cared for them and to, to help for them to help me out. Um, and in the meantime, I got into university here in the UK, uh, okay. which meant I studied here and fell in love with the country. I fell in love with the access to Europe um, and did a business degree. And so went into finance for, for loads of time. Um, and over the last 10 years, um, I guess 15 years now, uh, as I recovered from my injury, I also sort of fell into this horrible trap that can easily be done when you live in the UK, which is 
overworking, drinking too much, <laughs> and falling into this really strange British social etiquette, which revolves around alcohol, no matter what sort of social yeah. engagement you're in. And I found ultimately it was a bit of an unhealthy lifestyle for me. Um, mentally, I wasn't where I used to be and I wasn't happy. And I and actually I found work a bit of a, a drag. And, and that's when I sort of said, I woke up one day and said, God, I'm overweight and I feel like crap. And I, you know, I don't even know where to get started. And so I started talking to a couple of friends. Um, the other issue that I had was that I had used my back injury and my uh, history of sport almost as a crux and said, well, I can't do that because my back will flare up and I can't do that. Right. My back will flare up. And I sort of used it as an excuse. So a friend of mine finally said, well, listen, get into the pool. You like, you can't complain. The p- water is not going to kill you. So I started to swim and, um, just started to, you know, get into a routine again. Um, yeah. you know, I was, I was nearly, 12 for 13 kilos heavier than I am now, which is a huge amount of weight when you're only five foot three. <laughs> yeah. um, and he, this person was right. Swimming was brilliant. It got me back into a habit, it got into routine, but actually it didn't give me any sort of um, satisfaction when it came to training. It just didn't sort of hit those, those highs. And so someone suggested I start running again and I did start running, but of course the pains in the back started yeah. to flare up. Um, so coupled with swimming and running, someone said, well, listen, you should just get a bike. I bet with your ex skiing legs, like you'd be a, a <laughs> wicked cyclist. And so of course, when someone gives you a bit of a, uh, a compliment, you, you run with it. Right. And yeah. <laughs> uh, so I got myself a bike and there you go. I was suddenly doing the three disciplines independently of each other and decided to have a go at triathlon. Uh, and that's kind of where I got to about three or four years ago. Uh, actually, probably four years ago now. I um, started doing triathlons. I started really at the very beginning. I, again, still massively overweight, doing it for enjoyment, and then yeah. caught the bug. And over yeah. the last few years have gone from you know my my sort of triathlon story was really getting fit, like from wheelchair and almost mental illness to yeah. fit fast, healthy, and competitive. Um, yeah. And then last year, that is when I decided to to leave the big bad world of finance in London and, and do it full time because I just had so much better job satisfaction, enjoyment, and, and love for for sport and life and yeah. everything in general. And, and I guess that is my story. See, I told you you did it better than me. <laughs> no, it's, it's amazing because what you just described there is pretty much out without the horrific ski injuries um is pretty much how my similar to my journey and the way that i feel so that you know there's a few things i want to pick out there and particularly the overworking the drinking heavily and this kind of like you 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 use it the english culture and i've never thought about it like that before but it's very interesting so i was exactly like you i worked in the city I was overworking, I was overeating, overdrinking, but I w- would also exercise, but I was still 28 kilos overweight. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the thing for, for me, Ray, and it's probably the same from you, what you said around the mental side of things, is once you start to lose the weight, once you get fitter and healthier and you dial in your nutrition, it's like this this cloud or the curtains open on your 
clarity, your mental state, your energy. Um, and it's just it's just incredible, isn't it? And it, and it's exactly like you when when we use this cliche term of oh, "I caught the bug" and rest it. What it actually means, and and you can kind of correct me on this if I'm wrong, but it, it's that sense of achievement. It's that sense of you realizing that how capable you are and how capable your body is, and literally it is your mind that holds you back yeah. um, on this side of things. So I, I just think, yeah, that's. I can resonate with that so much, you know, the weight side of things. Um, and, and yes, and, and the other thing is, is the excuses, isn't it? And, and we're cla- humans are classic for that. Oh, yeah. We can say we can't do this because of X or I can't do this because I don't have enough time or I work in the city, so I can't do it. It's all nonsense. It's all the stories we're telling ourselves. No, exactly. And, um, and we, we inherently miss miscommunicate even to ourselves like we tell ourselves something enough we start to believe it even though it's a blatant blatant lie in certain cases you know of course we can find the time if we really want to 90% of the time we don't necessarily want to I I liken the the bug with another saying and some people will really get this and other people won't a lot of the a lot of the world population have addicted personalities especially in the western world we have got access to absolutely everything you could be addicted to anything you could be addicted to sport you can be addicted to drugs you can be addicted to socializing to alcohol to whatever it may be but actually in a world where we have access to absolutely everything those addictions Mm. can be fed so easily and so I had that like I am quite a social butterfly and I had a group of friends that actually our addiction was spending time together and drinking and yeah. going to clubs and this doing this. And actually, because I like this group of people so much, and by the way, I still do. I just choose not to socialize with them, with them in that setting. Um, yeah. I was addicted to that lifestyle. And yeah. I think that is why when people say they catch the bug with triathlon is very easily for certain a-type personality characteristics that those of us who work in the city, that work crazy hours, that feel like we want to be the best in our job in, mm. as a member of our family in and, and therefore in sport, it's very, very easy to make this a new level of addiction. And that's actually possibly one of the healthiest addictions you can have is being addicted to being fit and being healthy and being happy. Yeah, that's you, you're absolutely right. And I think it's very important for us to recognize that like you've just said around addictions and it's important to have that balance because I know when I first started and I had this kind of cloud lifted, that was all I wanted to do, you know, detriment of other stuff, you know, detriment of the career, detriment of the family. And I had to readdress that balance quite quickly. Otherwise you feel like you'll end up kind of losing all of the other stuff as well. So so yeah, no, I think I think that's really important. So, um, obviously, you know, you, you then you you said you got the bug and everything else, and, and we talked a little bit about um, the mental aspect of it. But what do you think that you need mentally in order to kind of start doing triathlon um, and things like that? What would you say? You know, one of the the key elements or even do you need it once you get fit and healthy or is it just natural? I think that's a really great question in terms of, you know, what are the key attributes you need to be a successful triathlete and, and do you need those? And, and that is, um, 
a really interesting point. So there are some really great attributes that make a fantastic triathlete. Um, having a bit of a screw loose um, is one. I mean, why be perfect at one sport when you could try and master three? Um, But I think it is taking the positive attributes that you have as a person and applying them to sport, um, which is what you need to harness. So, you know, for a triathlete, I think you need to be honest. You need to be honest with yourself and you need to be accountable with yourself. So do you really want to commit the time to do that? And are you going to be able to be honest with yourself about going to the gym, about going to swim, going for a run? It's pouring down with rain. And that level of accountability is incredibly important because triathlon is a multidiscipline sport. So, you know, a runner who's training for a marathon will do a lot less sessions than someone training for a sprint triathlon because there's three sports that you have to account for. Um, so honesty is the best policy. Um, and, um, yeah. And utilizing some of the, the key attributes that you have. So, you know, some person might be super brave and having that sort of bravery to take on challenges you need to harness. And someone else might be on the total other end of the spectrum. Um, they might be petrified, but they might have incredible patience. And actually yeah. being patient in a multidiscipline sport is an, an incredible attribute because you need, you you have to walk before you can run. Um, or you need to breaststroke before you can front crawl. And there's lots of <laughs> levels of... Um, of development in multidiscipline sport and you need to have patience for that. So actually it is about taking the attributes and traits that you have and turning them into a positive for multidiscipline sport. Anyone can do it. It's harnessing your um, best traits to make that happen. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think the other thing is that <clears throat> I kind of use the phrase is that we, we live in a, an, an Amazon type world in the sense that you know, we are not patient enough now because we have everything within 24 hours. Yeah. It's on our phones, it's delivered to our door and all the rest of it. And therefore, when you translate that over to improving your nutrition, improving your fitness and also starting triathlon, you want everything now, right? Exactly. Um, and your natural instinct is to just keep moving forward. And I remember the first time I crossed, crossed the finish line at Blenheim Palace when I did my first triathlon, that was it. Boom. I, I, all I wanted to do that day was finish. I then had finished. And I was like, right, not what's next. Yeah. How can I go faster? How can, and it's, and it's like you say, it's, it's knowing yourself to kind of dial that back. And like you said as well, be honest with yourself as to what you can achieve. Yes, you can achieve whatever you want to achieve, but you have to be realistic on, on how you get there. Absolutely. And, and, again, the patience is a virtue is so super important, especially with, like you said, the Amazon theory of this world. Yeah. We want something in 24 hours, but actually the guys who are getting to Kona, it's very rare that they've qualified in their first Ironman. Kona, obviously, for those who don't know, being the world championships of long distance triathlon, um, yeah. you know, you might start with Blenheim Palace sprint triathlon. Um, which is a beautifully run event and it gets that um, enticement into it. And of course you want to then go and do an Olympic triathlon and you then upgrade to middle distance and then obviously on to uh, full distance. And, and that yeah. can take some people 
as little as a year, but some people will take three, four, five years because going yeah. up in those distances are no easy feat. No. So yeah, so yeah, having that accountability and having that ability to manage yourself and your aspirations and your goals is really key to to developing as a multidiscipline athlete. Yeah, and I, I think that's I think that's really important, you know, and that kind of leads me quite nicely on to to the next kind of point really is is how people can get started um in this discipline. So and and people listening to this might not want to do a triathlon, but the part of what I do with Fit Healthier Dad is use I use the four disciplines, so swim, bike, run, and then strength training to get kind of an all-round fitness. Sure. But if people listen to this and think, yeah, actually I, I really hate the gym. I quite like swimming and I quite like running and maybe I could like cycling. What would you say for people that are maybe sitting at their desks or on their commute, listening to this and thinking, yeah, I quite like to have a little little go at this. How do they get started? They don't obviously just go out and start jumping in the pool, start swimming, then do a bike and a run, do they? They, they, they kind of got to build up to that. Yeah, so if we focus on um, outside of kit, because I think we can, we can come on to yeah. what you actually need. It's 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 integration and it's routine. So yeah. you have to manage your time and work out what your strengths and weaknesses are. So if you are if you're listening to this podcast and you swam county swimming as a kid, you know that actually your swimming is probably quite good. So you can start with a couple easy swim sessions a week, maybe even one swim session a week, just to get that feel for the water back. Um, and you might actually then need to integrate a couple bikes and a couple runs. Um, if you've never done a triathlon before and you're thinking, I want to have a crack at this, I would say the rule of thumb would be to try and do two swims, two bikes, and two runs a week. Um, I, it, depending on what sort of distance, if you're crazy enough to start at longer distances, then this is totally out the window. But you don't need anything more than 20 or 30 minutes of yeah. doing each session just to dabble your toe in it, which also then helps you with your work-life balance. Because um, yes. most of us have kids, we've got to take them to school, we inevitably get sick because they've got the flu, and then we get the flu. And um, so it's managing all of that sort of stuff. So getting into the pool for no more than 30 minutes is totally fine for the first couple sessions. Yeah. Now, if you're a newbie, as in you've never really swum, you don't have any experience, I would probably not just do continuous swimming. I would start with short, sharp bursts to get you yeah. to swimming um, certain distances over that 30 minutes. So doing something like, um, you know, 10 times 25 meters with five to 10 seconds rest in between, because actually you might remember, Darren, going back to the very first swim set you ever did when you decided to sign up for a triathlon. I remember swimming 25 meters and like coughing at the, at the one pool going, oh my God, I was 25 meters. How many lengths do I have to do again for this triathlon? Yeah. You know, like, so yeah. take everything in bite-sized chunks when you first start, because if you hit the ground running too fast, you will totally and utterly um, wipe yourself out. So manageable shot, um, manageable bite-sized chunks um, over multiple um, sessions a week will help you build into it and ease your way into it. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. And the other part about that is that if you go too hard too soon, 
<clears throat> you'll end up hating it because you you won't be at the level that you want to be at and you cannot rush it. I think swimming, from my perspective, more than anything, is something you can't rush. And it's exactly that. I couldn't swim more than two lengths of a 20-metre pool when I first started six cool. years ago. I'm with you. Um, and, yeah, it's absolutely right. And, 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 and kind of fitting it in around the family, which is obviously the big element of which I approach it from, and that is – you know, the 20 to 30 minutes is absolutely perfect. And you're so right. That's all you need to do. You just need to get in there and, and start doing it and not make it a big kind of grind session. We have to grind away the lengths. And the other thing about doing the 20 to 30 minute session is it's really good when you have young kids because more often than not, they've got swimming lessons. Exactly. So you can do that whilst they're having their swimming lessons. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and and the other the the other thing ar- around running, I can't remember now if you just touched on cycling, but but uh, but around running, all too often I see people going out and just doing what we call junk miles and just running, and and you can see their form is not right, they're really struggling to breathe. Don't do that. Just do some sprints first of all. Yeah, yeah. you know, ease yourself into it. You know, get your aerobic engine building by doing some sprints in your anaerobic states and they're things that if people listen just don't know what they are we could go into on another show but um yeah it, it's, it's just it's just easing yourself into it but i think all all too often particularly men we're just like no we're gonna do this i can do this and it's all the kind of testosterone flowing and you just smash it out of the park and you more often than not you end up injured a hundred percent injured, fatigued, and resentful of what you've actually mm. the challenge that you've taken on. Um, yeah. And I like your suggestions on sprints and intervals because actually it makes it breaks the session up. It makes it really accountable. So it's the same the same theory for cycling and running applies to my swim set example that I gave you. You know, if you're going to do, yeah. um, you know, ten to twenty five um, twenty five meter sprints and take a break, the same can apply for cycling. I mean. Again, using the example of a time poor family man slash family woman, um, if your children are, you know, going to ballet or to the swimming lesson or to whatever it might be, you might find that they're there for an hour and you can, you know, rush off to do a session. So not everything has to be outside either. Um, In this day and age, technology is such a wonderful tool. I mean, I am... 10 days, nine days out from an Ironman. And, um, in the last two months, I haven't done a single session outside. Everything has been on a turbo trainer, on a treadmill and in the pool. Um, because I'm super fearful at this time of year to get sick. And rather than worrying about it raining and having a crash outdoors on the slippery roads, I've been on the turbo trainer or the Watt bike or the gym bike, whatever I've got access to. Yeah. I've got available and you can do just as good of a set there than on the open roads. And so time poor dads and moms um, yeah. can utilize tech in a great way um, that you don't have to spend all the money to get gear to go outside, et cetera, et cetera. It, you know, you can, you can work around your life to actually um, get really good training sessions in. Yeah. 100% completely agree with that. I think, yeah, I think that you, there's so many tools available to us now um that if you really want to do this there there are no there are no excuses one of the one of the things that i do see rachel though and particularly i see this um on training camps and that is is around nutrition and the kinds of diets that um you know potential triathletes 
use and, and just people that are doing endurance sports. And that is they unnecessarily eat huge amounts of food and a huge amounts of carbohydrates. So in your opinion, you know, how important is nutrition um, and what kind of diet would you say that, you know, if, if someone's listening to this and they're going to start, they should be following? Um, so, <clears throat> I mean, the science behind sports nutrition goes deep and it is um, so, so widespread. So I think it's really important to simplify it. Um, yeah. We need to separate it into distance of triathlon and experience. So most people, um, and it's all broken down. Um, everyone talks about carbohydrates, but actually what we really want to talk about is glycogen supplies. Um, so carbohydrates, i.e. fruit, veg, grains, pasta, breads, et cetera, et cetera, are, uh, an energy source which we eat, which converts to glycogen. And glycogen is the energy source that our muscles use to perform. Yeah. Uh, now, that also can be broken down into different um, energy sources in terms of fat um, uh, and uh, anaerobic, etc. But for the ease of endurance sports, um, we are operating at a high enough intensity that we are generally burning glycogen energy stores rather than fat stores or uh, amino acids. Um, sorry if I'm getting too technical. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. I think you're keeping it at a high enough level because we could delve really deep yeah, into this so stuff. I'm going to keep it su super simple. So if you are doing a one hour training session, you should probably understand that you actually don't need to fuel for that because your body has enough fuel supply to deal with a one hour session. Generally yeah. speaking. Um, yeah. uh, so no matter how advanced or experienced my triathletes are, whether they're newbies or beginners, I don't necessarily on our sessions where it's a one hour session, ask them to eat any differently in a day. Um, it's only when we start going into the two, three, four, five hour sessions where nutrition and two, three, four, five hour races where nutrition becomes totally important. Um, so when you say unnecessary carbs, I think it's probably our listeners are probably in the right listenership to say, yeah, you're right. We actually, if you're training less than 10 hours a week, which most of us are, you actually don't need to eat any differently. Because 10 hours a week would suggest you're doing roughly one hour of training a day and maybe two to three on the weekend. Um, mm -hmm. Then there's a couple different trains of thoughts with fuel sources, and it depends whether you need to lose weight or maintain weight. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, if you're training for, sorry, I'm jumping all over the place because I'm trying to keep it super simple, but if you're training for sprint and Olympic distance triathlons, actually, I, I, believe you don't have to change your nutrition hugely unless you are a terrible eater. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So if you're eating junk food, i.e. trans fats and, and greasy foods and deep fried foods and all that sort of stuff, which frankly, all of us in this day and age know that it's really bad for you. Okay. Like if you're eating McDonald's every week and taking takeaway and having stuff with MSG in it, and you're not eating fresh fruit and vegetables and you're not eating home cooked meats and veg, then yeah. Okay. Your diet really crappy, crappy yeah. diet equals crappy training. 
and yes. crappy lifestyle. If you're eating healthy foods like healthy breads and meats and cheeses and fruit and vegetables and all the stuff that's good for you, as long as you're not overeating, you really don't have to change your diet that much. On camp, as you suggested, it's a slightly different story because you're probably going to be doing upwards of 16 to 20 hours mm. of training. And then, of course, you need to fuel for that uh, for that type of training. It's really only when you step up to middle and long distance triathlon, i.e. the events that last four hours or more, where critically your training sessions increase in time and your races increase in time. And therefore, the amount of calories, i.e. in inverted brackets, um, carbohydrates you can see need to be increased because you're expending a lot, a lot more calories and a lot more energy. Um, so I always, it's quite funny because you talk about the, the four disciplines of training as swim, bike, run, strength training, but actually nutrition is the fourth discipline. Strength is the fifth discipline because nutrition is so much more vital to having your body work properly. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think, um, I think the, the biggest part about what you just said there is taking it back, dialing it back, keeping it simple and eat. I keep using this phrase just recently, nutrient-dense food. So that's proper food that's not gone through a manufacturing process. Um, That is, you know, either vegetables, meats, fish, a balanced diet with relevant portion sizes. Um, And, you know, that's that's literally all you need. And, And the other thing which I'm really pleased you mentioned there was about fueling a session for an hour the my, one of my biggest bugbears is seeing people that go into the gym for an hour or less with all these pre-workout drinks all these energy drinks it's nonsense <laughs> because your muscles have enough glycogen for an hour and a half worth of um activity so the uh, only, my only thing i would say to you there is i 100 percent agree Pre-workout and energy drinks are two very different things. So pre-workout, the main two ingredients are normally beta aniline and creatine. Now, those don't have any calories in them. They are naturally producing um, amino acids that your body creates, um, which you're feeding your body, which allows you more explosive power. But again, totally irrelevant really for those doing endurance sports because creatine and beta aniline are there really for explosive heavy weight lifting sessions um i take i for example take beta aniline and i will sometimes take creatine on really really heavy lifting sessions but then again i train 17 to 19 hours a week and i only take them for my strength and conditioning sessions right yeah now that's that's a good point. I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up. So yeah, I, I think I think yeah, nutrition um, is a is a is a huge topic that we could delve into, and we can talk about being fat adapted and all the rest of it. And that's a whole other oh, yeah. kind of we could talk about it for hours because also it needs to be broken down. Like I said, into the, probably the distance of triathlon people are choosing, yeah. um, whether or not they are um, on a weight maintenance diet or weight loss diet or a weight gain diet. It's it's so complicated. But like you said, macro rich nutrient food, i.e., non processed food. So you know, don't have an energy bar when you could have a banana. Exactly. Um, yes. You know, 
All of this sports nutrition stuff is great, but people get so obsessed with ordering more gels and doing this. Nine times out of 10, I don't use, and so I'm sponsored by an energy company and I use them only for race day practice sessions, training sessions and race day. The rest of the time I'm eating real foods to fuel my training sessions. And I'll give you an example on Wednesday, I did my very last training session. So two days ago, um, I can't remember what day this goes out. So two days ago, I did my last training session for my Ironman in 10 days time. And right. I, it, I did a eight, I did a nine hour, sorry, session. So I did a hundred miles on the bike, two and a half kilometer swim. And I did a 12 kilometer run. Right. And I had three gels all day. Yeah. The rest of my food were was actual food to fuel those sessions. Yeah, and I, and I think that's really important because there's a whole other topic around athletes and di- diabetes, and I have a massive issue with with gels in particular, yeah. and about how um, age group athletes are just necking these gels, um, and then they wonder why they get sick, they wonder why they have issues with blood glucose and and all the rest of it, and yeah, it, that's a another whole kind of yep. topic that we can talk about. So, so coming back to the kind of other elements of it, obviously kit is a big part of, of triathlon and, you know, you could look at it one or two ways. Great, I can go out and spend a load of money and get some really cool kit or the other way is, you know, um, yeah, it's going to cost and it is it can be a very expensive sport if you want to let it get that way. Um, but what would you say that the people listen to this who are thinking about doing it, or they might even just be doing the individual disciplines and might not want to do a triathlon, but what kind of kit would you recommend is the kind of baseline kit? So um, let's go through the essentials. If you want to swim, the only two things you need are a bathing suit and possibly some goggles, some swimming goggles. Um, And goggles are a whole discussion in themselves, get something that suits your face, not what someone recommends to you. Um, if you then choose to go into triathlon, the one thing that you might need is a wetsuit and a tri suit on top of that. Um, those are your bare minimums for your swim and your triathlon element running. Uh, all you need is some running shoes to go on top of that. (laughs) And if you're looking to bike, you will need key elements is a helmet and a bike yeah with that yeah you could actually do a whole triathlon (laughs) yeah yeah no i I agree i think um sorry to interrupt you i one of the one of the things that i advise people to do particularly if they're new to it um the bike can be the the biggest cost in all of this massively Um, and and if you're uncertain then i always recommend going down the second hand route because there can be some really good bikes that you can pick up yeah. uh, secondhand. My, my uh, first bike was a secondhand bike. Um, I totally and utterly believe in getting secondhand kit. However, yeah. bikes in particular, you must be fit before you buy something. So I made a huge mistake. I am five foot three um, right. and I have, quite a standardized frame if you will so i don't have particularly long legs i don't have particularly long arms i'm just kind of all in proportion so didn't think that a bike size would be that much of an issue and i bought a bike 
ultimately that was three sizes too big, which caused huge problems with my back, which caused huge problems. And although I got a great deal on this bike and it was brilliant, yeah. like I got it on eBay for 400 pounds and it was brilliant. It was my, maybe been four or five years old, but it was still in excellent condition. But if it was too big for me and ultimately caused me more harm than good. So yeah. I totally agree. If you're going to go down the route of um, secondhand and you're leaping, taking the leap of faith of trying the sport, it's categorically the right thing to do. There are these amazing Facebook groups. There's amazing um, uh, eBay um, secondhand bike websites globally that are fantastic, but you need to know the size of bike Definitely. you can buy. Therefore, spend the money. It's normally cost 200 pounds or $250 to get a bike fit before you go and do that. Yeah, that that's that's a really great tip actually because buying yeah, like you say, buying the wrong bike can actually mean that your performance is hindered because you can't put the power down when it needs to go down and in the right places. You can't get your cadence right. You're hunched over the bike. You know you're uncomfortable. You can't be on it for long periods of time. Massive. Um, so yeah, and and the other thing about the bike as well is that I remember when I did my first triathlon, I actually didn't buy my bike until. I think it was about six to eight weeks before the event. I actually trained all the, the previous times on a, on a watt bike in the gym. So, you know, if you're budgeting, then you can do most of your training on a, on a spin bike or a watt bike in the gym. I wouldn't advocate necessarily using the, the traditional exercise bikes, but you can, and I have and do sometimes if you're, if you're, you know, if that's all that's available. But yeah, so it's just kind of budgeting and, and understanding what it is you need to be um kind of investing in really it can be a very expensive sport but it's also it can be if planned right a very affordable sport yeah yeah i agree i think it definitely can be um so for people that are already triathletes that are listening to this um you know you mentioned earlier about you know gradually moving up the various different um, distances up into ironman what would you say are some key factors to consider? If somebody's listened to this, they've done a few sprint distance ones this year, or they've even done some super sprint distance ones this year. What would you say if they're now planning, you know, planning their next season? What would you say? Uh, and, and they even maybe would want to go up to an Ironman. What would you say is the, the best things or the best ways to to tackle that? So I think the first thing you need to understand is the differences in distances that you are tackling. Um, yeah. with a sprint and an Olympic, most people can do it under the three and a half hour mark. Um, a solid, solid Olympic time is probably two and a half or two, two hours, 20, which is getting down to the more sort of elite fast end. Um, and you will train considerably less for those events. Um, if you look at middle distance and long distance, your distances are going up considerably. So for a half Ironman, your swim is um, a 1900 meter swim or 1.2 miles, a 90 kilometer or 56 mile bike and a half marathon. Um, if you then decide to take the plunge for a full Ironman, you're looking at a 2.4 mile swim or a 3.8 kilometer swim and a 180 kilometer or a 112 mile bike followed by a marathon. So these are long, long distances. And in order to be fit enough to compete in those long, long distances, you need to have enough time to train for that, those distances. <clears throat> so each 
excuse me, each distance that you go up in, you're looking at nearly a 50% increase in distance. However, the demand on the body is exponentially more than 50% of that increased distance. So an Olympic distance might take a couple days to recover from. The first time you do a half Ironman, it might take a couple weeks to recover from. But an Ironman, no matter how fit you are, takes can take a month or two to recover from because of the demand placed on the body. So <clears throat> understanding the challenge at hand and the demands on the body is the very first key to understanding the what you need to do to upgrade. Um, and the hours that it's going to take. So most people can train. Now, this is super generalistic. I, as a coach, I would never tell someone that they have to train this X amount of hours to do a certain race. But if we look at in general, most people training for a sprint triathlon can do it under two, sorry, with around two to four hours of training per week. It's totally doable yeah. to finish a sprint iron, a sprint uh, race. Again, upgrading to Olympic distance, you can probably do it under eight hours of training a week without much difficulty. Once you get into middle distance, that those hours increase exponentially um, because of the distance that needs to be covered. So a 70.3 or a half Ironman, you're looking at 10 to 12 hours minimum per week with your heavy weeks being up to 16 hours of training and Ironman being a little bit more than that. Uh, now, understanding if you have the commitment of time is number one priority. Um, we've covered nutrition, but nutrition takes a whole new critical element of training um, because most of us who are Ironman athletes have children, have day jobs and have this, that, and the other. Whereas pro athletes can train as much as they want, but they get to sleep in between their training sessions. We need fuel for not only the task at hand, but being able to be awake and function like a human between training sessions after doing an Ironman. Um, The other thing that's really important to note, I think when you go up to the long distances is that critically it no longer becomes a running race. Your bike time, the importance of your bike leg increases exponentially because of the distance that you travel on the bike. Yeah. Um, and also critically, it is absolutely okay to undertrain your run distances when you go up to those long distances to avoid injury and keep yourself healthy. Yeah, I think, um, I think there's, that's, that's some great tips. I think, you know, from experience, the, the, the jump up from half, to full Ironman is a world of difference in, in the and it's and the other thing is is the it's a world of difference of the impact that it has on your body and like you say the recovery yeah um and and this was something that I struggled with in the early days and that was rest and recovery and to be honest I probably still do train I probably still do struggle with it because it's it's this this psychological thing of once you know you can do what you can do, you just want to do more. But actually, some of your performance gains, and we might be going a little bit too deep in this, but will come from your rest and recovery. It's, um, it's scientifically- let me correct what you just said. Let me just correct what you said. A hundred percent of your gains come from resting. One hundred percent of your gains come from resting. When you are training, you are breaking down your muscular strength and the composition of your muscles to such an extent that the only time they can recover and gain 
is when you're recovering. Yeah. 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 And, 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 you know, I think coming back to the male element of it, we, we, we struggle with resting and recovering. And, and like I said, you know, we, we just want to do more, but it is, you know, hugely valuable to recognize that. And I think the other thing I just wanted to mention there is around sleep. Um, and it's you know, scientifically proven that endurance athletes need a lot more sleep yeah. than the that just do you know, CrossFit or strength and conditioning training. So you know, getting your eight hours of sleep in good quality sleep the night time is very very important. But that's also challenging when you have families and a day job and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. No, sleep sleep is vital. Rest days are vital. So um, my athletes, even my Kona qualified athletes, all have one full day of total rest they are allowed to do stretching on their rest day and that is it yeah. um and yeah people you're right people find that really really difficult to comprehend and and work towards and it's interesting so i had um i took on two guys last year that had been working with other coaches for a really long time and the hours that they were training I took one look at the hours they were doing and said, I can get you 25% faster and cut out six hours of training. And they just didn't believe me. And it was because the, I think the theory had been that they had been working so hard towards these goals and it was to qualify for Kona to qualify for the world championships and the half iron distance that they were pushing, 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 pushing. But both of them Mm -hmm. had were family men have kids. They were getting sick. They were pushing their bodies to such an extreme that actually they were just doing damage. So we took out nearly six hours of training and put in a full rest day and both of them on their next race qualified for the events they wanted to qualify for. Yeah, that's that's impressive. So yeah, proof of the pudding is is obviously in, in that. So um, for people that are looking to improve performance, because once you get to a certain level, you know, it then starts to become come less about finishing the event and more about improving your times. So like you said, you know, you can qualify for Kona or you can qualify for specific events. Obviously, a big element of we've just covered this, actually, and that is, you know, resting can improve performance significantly. What other things would you say, um, you know, people can do or, or look at to improve performance you know and, and this and again this is a big topic but you know ju- just in general so <clears throat> once you've gotten to the point of you're crossing the finish line you're feeling good and you constantly want to improve there's just there's a few things that can be tailored to really really help get your results to the next level um yeah. first and foremost is have a solid plan. Um, you need to, st- once you get to the point where you're like, Oh, I can do a lot better than this. You need to start strategizing. So have a plan. Um, you start to look for the races that suit your strengths and discount your weaknesses. So I'll give you a perfect example. I, am a f- for want of a better word, especially for a female triathlete, I'm a phenomenal cyclist. Um, I think the the last, every single race I have done this season, I have either been first or second in the female field off the bike. Um, however, I cannot hill climb compared to the best in the world. So strategically I pick bike legs that have no more than a certain amount of climbing in it 
to ensure I get the biggest advantage possible. So I'm not going to do Ironman Zurich or Ironman Wales or Bolton because they don't suit my advantages. They, they highlight my weaknesses. However, I am going to do Ironman Argentina because there's 600 meters of climbing in the bike, which (laughs) I can get into my time trial position, which I am flexible enough to hold for five hours and should be able to beat most of the female field off the bike, which will leave me in a great position to have a solid run. So strategizing your events are pivotal in performance improvement because you actually don't have to get any fitter, but you you will perform infinitely better by racing to your strengths. So having a plan of action, having a race strategy and knowing your strengths and weaknesses will exponentially improve your performance. Um, Setting clear um, driven and almost unattainable goals will help. Now this is, we're talking about higher end performance at this point, right? So if you are there, you discount everything I'm saying, (laughs) Uh, because you, as a beginner, you don't want unachievable goals. You need to be able to meet your weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual targets, or else you lose all faith. But if you are super, super competitive and at that top end, you need to have goals that you almost can't achieve to continuously keep working towards them. Um, you need to get creative with your training. Um, you need to, um, try new sessions that don't work for you. You or you need to try new sessions if the sessions you are working uh, working towards or on are not improving your performance. Um, and you need to start looking at times that you are training, your nutrition, your strength um, in the gym, etc., etc., etc. And my biggest biggest bugbear is, especially those who are not early risers, is getting it done early. Yeah. Your race normally starts at 5.30 in the morning, sometimes earlier. I'm normally having breakfast on an Ironman at four o'clock in the morning. And therefore, if you're not training at those times, your body will not perform on race day unless you have practiced at that time. If you're an early morning riser, what I'm saying is completely um, uh, irrelevant to you because you already do that. But lots of people aren't early risers. And if you're not an early riser, you must train yourself to be so. Yeah. I, I agree. I think, uh, fortunate enough for me, I am an early riser, and and I, I, you know, realize that that is when I perform better. But yeah, I think the other thing as well, particularly on race day, if you have not got up, you know, before race day and consumed your breakfast at the odd hours, you will need to get up for race day. <laughs> yeah, you can't go to an event and do it on the day because it, you, your body would just be like, "What the hell is going on here?" You know. Um, so yeah, that's that's a big key thing. And I think the other thing, uh, Ray, and you may correct me on this, but I think the other big thing that gets missed, and something that I missed last season, and that is doing the brick sessions as well. So the brick session is something where you get off the bike and then you do a run, or you might do a swim and then you might do a run or something yeah. like that. I don't know. Back, back Sorry, training. Man. So it's race simulation training essentially. Um, uh, yeah, categorically. It, I mean, brick sessions are fundamental to multidiscipline triathletes. So I, for example, the last, um, I guess, so I did competed at worlds in September and, um, from September until now I've been in full Ironman training almost only 
one run a week I do isn't followed by a bike. So all of my sessions are brick sessions when I'm in full season training mode. Why? Because there's no point in, in the middle of full season training with fresh legs because in an Ironman, you are going to be buggered. You want a better word. So there's no point going out to a three hour run if you haven't cycled a hundred miles because it's totally um, irrelevant to the task at hand. So it's much better to, and this is why I said it's totally fine to under train on the run because the the amount of cycling you're doing when you're training long distance is cardiovascular assisting you on your fitness and your endurance that you can avoid injury and run less, but run off the bike and actually doing an hour and a half run when you've been on the bike for five hours or three hours um, is much more conducive and better training than going out and trying to run a 30k run yeah yeah no i'd agree i think yeah i think that's very key to put it into perspective, so- just to put it in perspective i have not done more than a half marathon um this year unless i've been in a race wow okay yeah that that's well that just that says it all then doesn't it really i mean going out and i think it, a lot of it then comes back as well to what i was saying about earlier is is doing junk miles you don't need to just keep running and running and running no, no. quality over quantity especially when it comes to running because running is our number one source of injury as multi-sport triathletes uh, athletes yeah yeah particularly when you're fatigued and you're tired and all the rest of it correct okay so um we've covered a hell of a lot there Raya, and um yeah, gone into some some real in-depth stuff. So to sum up what we talked about today, what are the five key actions that you would say the listeners could take away to help them either get started in triathlon training or, or improve? Um, well, key takeaways for beginners are try it, test it out and see. Don't go spending all the yeah. money until you know that you absolutely love it and you're committed because otherwise it's... it's um, you know, total waste of money, but yeah, get started, try it out, see if you like it and build gradually over time, build gradually in terms of the kit that you collect in terms of the races that you do in terms of the different membership clubs that you join, all of that sort of stuff, take it all in your stride and make sure it fits within your lifestyle. Um, I would say, uh, really focus on structured and quality training over quantity, especially if we're focusing on the dads of this world. Uh, And most, most, most importantly for me, which we haven't actually covered at all, is this sport is supposed to be a hell of a lot of fun. And if you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with that 100%. Yeah, fun is, yeah, and and that comes back to, actually people being consistent with it because you need to be consistent well not just in this sport but just in anything that you do particularly around fitness and nutrition and if you don't like it you're punishing yourself totally why punish yourself yeah so yeah absolutely it has to be it has to be fun so um yeah that's amazing thank you very much for your time raya you are sorry you're more than welcome So, so before we finish up today um is there anything that I didn't ask you that you feel like I should have asked you that would benefit the listeners? No, I mean, I think we've we've covered off a huge amount. I mean, we 
No, I, I mean, I think we're good. Uh, I guess the the biggest question is, um, you know, if that's something, that if, the, if triathlon is a sport that people um, are listening to and they've never done it before and they, they want to find out more, then we're more than happy to, to help from our perspective. I mean, I, I run a coaching company here in the UK. Um, we focus on, um, the higher end, um, of the market. So most of our athletes are top five to 1% of the world. Um, uh, so it's a pretty competitive group. Um, that's not to say we don't have all levels and abilities in the team. Um, but yeah, anything more that you want to cover, um, I'd be more than happy to chat to any of your listeners off air, um, and get more information over to them. Yeah, fantastic. So, so how can they connect with you, Raoul? What kind of social platforms are you on that they connect you connect with you on? So, you can contact us on uh, our website, which is precision-coaching.co.uk. Um, my business partner Will and I are both on Instagram. I am Raya Hubble Precision Coach, and Will is Will Usher Precision Coach. Uh, you can also find our race team, which is Precision Race Team, where you can see a whole bunch of incredibly inspiring athletes that will certainly get you motivated. Um, and Twitter and all the various um, other platforms, Facebook, uh, et cetera. Everything is Precision Coaching. Fantastic. All right. That's great, Ray. Thank you very much for your time uh, and good luck with your race. When is your race? Thank you. I'm doing Ironman Argentina, which is on the 1st of December. So I don't know if this podcast will have gone out by then, but yeah, it's really close. Yeah, yeah. No, it will go out next Friday. So um, it will be out before that then. And I highly recommend you guys go over uh, and follow both Will and Raya on Instagram to see what they get up to with their crazy stuff. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, Raya. So thank you very much for your time again. And I'll look forward to catching up with you soon. You too, Darren. And I know that you are also in uh, the hunt for Kona. So please, best of luck to you too. And let me know if you need any help with your training. Thank you very much, Raya. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Fitter Healthier Dad podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe. And I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes. All the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes. And a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com. 